Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. And this is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. How's it going? Good. And I just want to preface that this Monday's case is not like last Monday's case. Oh, <laughs> I Lord. Last Monday was so rough. And like Mm-mm. we said when we got off the episode, we were like, well, that was – what did you say? That was – I forget what word. I don't even remember. <laughs> It's like depressing or something like that, but I, I feel like what you said, but. I know that we say that they're they're all terrible, but that to me was the worst one I've ever done. Mm-hmm. So I can see that. Yeah, it was rough. Mm-hmm. This one's rough. I mean, it's murder, but anyway, we're glad yeah. you're back. Yes, I hope you guys are having a great day. We're yes. having good days. Yeah, yeah, so things are. Going oh my on. gosh, I forgot to tell you too. Guess what I found in my backyard? We have. Hummingbird eggs. Oh, <gasps> how do you know they're hummingbird eggs? Did you look it up, dude? They're this big. Oh, they are so tiny. The nest is like could fit in my hand. Oh, how are these itty bitty little hummingbird eggs? And we also have those birds. I can't remember the name, but they go and kick. They like take over other birds' nests. Mm-hmm. And I told Wes I would fight to the death <laughs> to keep those hummingbirds egg safe because oh they're so gosh. sweet i'll have to send you a picture yes oh that's happiness right there i know yes we have robin eggs too in the front of our house like the blue robin eggs oh mm-hmm. yep. i'm gonna protect those too okay good for you so everybody knows but my eyes on that hummingbird nest i oh. swear i want to see a little by a hummingbird i know right they're so cool mm-hmm. i love those i'm gonna name them <laughs> oh lord <laughs> can't wait to find out the names <laughs> stay tuned okay <laughs> um we also want to thank a Patreon. We have a new lady in the closet over there, Allison H. Welcome in. Thank Welcome, you so Allison. Yes, yes. And also, shall I mention it now? <laughs> you shall. We're <laughs> just talking about that. Um, we got a letter, an email, a letter, you know, snail bill. No. Again, proper English. <laughs> we got an email from a listener, Dana. And Dana, it was, I was just going to say may have been, but no, it was the best email we have ever received literally about how much she loves listening to us and we get her through some hard times. Um, I, she said, she gave us permission to share, right? So we can share. I think so. yeah. Yeah. Her daughter, um, has been battling cancer for 11 freaking years. 11 years. And she's Mm. like started in her 20s, right? Yeah, she's 22, I think is what she said. Yeah. Um, And they listen on their car rides and it just touched us so much that she took the time to send us this letter to tell us all of that and share her life with us. And we just Mm -hmm. totally appreciate it. And we are praying and hoping and... I don't know, all the good vibes going their way and supporting, um, hoping for a good outcome with her daughter and all that. So, yeah. But to anyone who is battling that disease, I tell you, it is universal Mm -hmm. how much every every person on the planet is affected in some way, Mm -hmm. I feel like, by cancer. Either they've battled it themselves, they've known someone, you guys know Christy is a survivor of cancer. 
we've lost parents, we've lost friends, like it's everywhere and you're all warriors and we appreciate you. And that was very cool, Dana. Mm-hmm. Like it's making me tear up. <laughs> I know. I'm talking about it again. I think we've all cried. Like my husband was tearing up about mm-hmm. it the other day. Um, We think you're a warrior, all of you guys who are fighting it. But Dana, we particularly appreciate the fact that you took time out of your day. Just the only agenda that she had was to be nice. Mm -hmm. That was it. And so be like Dana and just spread love and we appreciate it. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Super cool. Agreed. Yeah. So. Oh, so we did get all in the feels today. We did. <laughs> we we did. going to, but look at us. I know. We love you guys. We just appreciate you, and we don't take for granted that you allow us into your lives. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, yeah, we're happy that you share your lives with us in that way. Yep. Yes. Thank you so much. And hopefully yeah. now this feel-good story can get you through a not-so-feel-good the, story. The murder? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Well, let's get into that. And here we go. For this case today, we are going down under. <gasps> Ooh. Put another shrimp on the barbie, are we? Yeah. Good day, mates. Good day. I can't do accents. <laughs> See, I was actually, I'm going to apologize ahead of time because we all know I love an accent. Mm-hmm. And I can't help myself. I really can't. And ev- almost everything that I read about this case was written by someone from Australia. Oh. And they use terms that we don't mm-hmm. use sometimes here in the U.S. And I couldn't not read it in an Australian accent. And I kind of have been walking around all week, like saying weird stuff, like <laughs> "good day, mates," and so yeah. I mean, and some of them were like um, smart arses, <laughs> arses, <laughs> arses, and they they said coppers and crims. What's and that? Like, like cops and criminals. Oh they my call gosh. coppers and that's probably my favorite one. Right? Yes. Yeah. I might implement that one. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I'm joking now because this case is not funny. It's not okay. lighthearted at all. So we need to get all that out of the way. Um, so specifically, we are going to Victoria, Australia. And this case comes to us by way of our listener, Helen, who lives in Australia. She's one of Ooh. our Aussie listeners. Oh, And she's so Helen. cute when she writes us. She's like, hi, from Australia. <laughs> Her mom actually lived near the area that this murder occurred, when it oh. occurred. Okay. This is a very brutal double homicide. Mm-hmm. It is known as Victoria's most brutal crime, as well as Melbourne's most notorious cold case. Oh, man. Spoiler. Okay. But it is most famously called the Easy Street Murders. Okay. All right. Well, I'm ready. This is okay. This is the case of Suzanne Armstrong and Susan Bartlett. Okay. Suzanne and Susan met in school when they were teenagers, young teenagers, mm-hmm. in the country town of Benalla, Australia. The two of them became very close and they actually stayed friends like their entire lives. Suzanne and Susan both went by Sue or Susie. And they were so inseparable that their friends and family called them the Two Sues. <laughs> That's cute. That was their little nickname. I thought that was cute, too. 
For the purposes of this case, so we won't be totally confused, I am going to call them Suzanne and Susan. Okay, good. But just know that they did go by Sue. Still going to get confused. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Also, information on the specifics of their backgrounds is not super publicized, so I'm just going to do what I can to tell you about Mm -hmm. them. Suzanne Joy Armstrong was born in 1948 to parents Bill and Eileen. Suzanne was very adventurous, and she loved to travel the world. She was petite. She was very pretty, but she was also sort of quiet and soft-spoken. She didn't like to be the center of attention, but she often was just because her personality and like her beauty were, they just commanded attention. Mm-hmm. People, people noticed her. She is described as being the kind of young woman that every young man wanted to take out. Okay. She had several siblings, two sisters and a brother, I think, but I'm not totally sure about that. Mm-hmm. She did a lot of traveling after she got out of high school and went all over the world. Okay. In 1974, Suzanne reunited with her childhood bestie, Susan, while Susan was living in Greece. Oh, Greece. Yes. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. Suzanne Jan Bartlett was born to parents Cliff and Elaine, and she had one brother named Martin that she was very close with. Susan was outgoing and fun. She was very creative and crafty, and she became a teacher. And she also loved to travel all over the world. She was very loved and respected by all of her students, and she made friends very easily, and she was obsessed with the Beatles. Uh, Well, a lot of people were. (laughs) Oh, the 60s of it all. So here we are in 1974, and the two Sues are best friends. They're in their mid-20s living in Greece. Mm -hmm. By 1975, Susan was ready to return to Australia. She had a job waiting for her at a high school in Victoria as an arts and crafts teacher. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I was just going to say, that seems like such a weird arts and crafts teacher. I mean, we have art teachers now, but like... yeah. But for it to be arts and crafts, that to me right. like is like a hobby or a quick little fun class or, you know, like that you might go to a, an art studio or something. Mm-hmm. But like, I love yeah. it. Yeah, it gives, I do too. gives me vibes. Mm-hmm. Suzanne decided not to leave Greece with her bestie because she had recently found out that she was expecting a baby. Oh, Suzanne had met a fisherman in Greece named Manilis Margaritas. Yes, yes, he was named that. I could not get more Greek than that. Mm -hmm. And they had fallen in love and were now having a baby. Suzanne and Manilis had planned to get married, but because Suzanne was from another country, there was a lot of red tape and paperwork in order to get that done. So it never actually happened. Mm -hmm. So Suzanne gave birth to a baby boy in August of 1975, and they named him Gregory. It was a very happy time, and Suzanne's mom even flew over to Greece for the birth and to meet her new grandbaby. Eventually, Suzanne became very homesick and decided that she wanted to return to Australia with Gregory. She knew that Gregory's father would not want her to take their baby so far away and that he would be heartbroken because Mm -hmm. he really loved Suzanne. So she couldn't bring herself to say goodbye to him. She told him that she and Gregory were going home to Australia to visit family. And then after they were already there, she wrote him and told him they were not going to be returning to Greece. Oh. 
So Gregory was about 15 months old at the time. So he was still pretty little. Upon returning to Australia, Suzanne got a hold of her best friend, Susan, and the two of them decided to rent a home together in Victoria in an area called Collingsworth. Okay. They found a cute little three-bedroom home located at 147 Easy Street. Easy the, Street. That isn't that a that's got to be a song or something like that. I think it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I don't know what it is though now that I think about it. Yeah. We'll have to look it up later. Mm-hmm. So the two Sues and baby Gregory moved into the house on Easy Street in October of 1976. Suzanne was 28 and Susan was 27. They were known to be very sweet young ladies. Suzanne was a stay-at-home mom at the time and she was always seen playing in the backyard with her son or riding around on her bike with baby Gregory on the back. Susan would go back and forth to her teaching job at the nearby school, and she could be seen walking their German shepherd puppy, Mishka. Hmm. They were not known to be loud or stay up late or party or anything like that. They were just good girls, good neighbors. They were described, I love this, as girls of their time. Which I just think is so cute. It's like they're these 70s, like, just coming into, like, women's liberation movement, like, loving the Beatles, living yeah. in, the, in the city, like, just girls of their On time. Easy Street. It has to be a song, I think it's right? Broadway. I think it's Broadway. Oh, maybe. Okay. All right. So Collingsworth, the area where they were living at the time was known as kind of a rough area. So it was kind of on like the outskirts of the Mm -hmm. nicer downtown areas. There were a lot of immigrants that lived in the area and it was known for having like underground gambling rings and like some crime and it had cheap, cheaper housing compared to the neighboring areas. Mm -hmm. But it was in the process of being revamped and it was said to have been in its second act. Okay. That's how it was described. So, like, it's it's coming around. It's surrounded by nice areas. It just hadn't got there yet. Okay. It was close to public transportation, close to Susan's school, and it had a milk bar just up the street. Do you know what a milk bar is? I have no idea. I know what I'm thinking it is in my head, but what is it? <laughs> it's just a convenience store. Okay. Deli. <laughs> it's like a little okay. local grocery place. Okay. Okay. And then it had this affordable living. So the two Sues, they were like, you know what? It has some charm. They liked it. Mm-hmm. So by January of 1977, Suzanne and Susan had been living in the home for a couple of months. Suzanne was dating a man named Barry Woodard, and the two of them really seemed to be hitting it off and liked each other a lot. Susan had also recently started started dating a tobacco salesman Ew. who is mostly called the unnamed tobacco salesman. Why? But I, did, I don't know. <laughs> but I did see in one place that his name was Colin. I just don't know if that's true. Okay. So this relationship was very new and not very much was said about him. Also, I feel like I need to point out that in January, when this takes place in Australia, it's summertime. Oh, okay. They're opposite of us, right? Wait. Okay. 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 Got it. And that is just so interesting to go to Australia. Okay. 
On Monday, January 10th, 1977, Susan got up and went shopping with her mom in the morning. She came home and worked on a dress that she was making herself, like she was making herself a dress. And so she came home and was sewing that. Suzanne played with Gregory and spent the day in the backyard in a blow-up pool with some of the other neighbor kids. The women had invited Susan's brother and his girlfriend over for dinner that evening because they had a stereo system that wasn't working and they wanted his help fixing it. Okay. And from what I understand, this was regular. Like her brother and her spent quite a bit of time together and he would come over and have dinner with them like all the time, like once Mm -hmm. a week or something. So they start getting work getting to work preparing dinner for Martin, the brother, and his girlfriend. The four of them had a nice dinner, and then Martin fixed the the lady's stereo. Suzanne put Gregory to bed, and then she spoke to her sister on the phone while Susan visited with her brother and his girlfriend. Once the baby was in bed, the four of them settled into the lounge area to watch an episode of a show called The Sullivans. So this is an Australian, like, period show mm. set post-war and it's similar to like a soap opera or nighttime drama and I spent way too much time learning about this show for <laughs> literally no reason. <laughs> I love how you take attention to like all the details though like just in case like something about this show made <laughs> well, sense to add. <laughs> no I'm gonna tell you why I ended up delving into it because it was specifically said that they watched a show of the Sullivans. And after these murders happened, people from the show, the Sullivans spoke out. And oh. we're like, oh, they were watching our show. And I was like, well, what is the show? <laughs> it was ridiculous. Oh, okay. they, it was ridiculous. At around 9 p.m., Martin and his girlfriend decided to head home. So they said goodnight and they left the two Sues in front of the TV. So it's like, could we have a more wholesome day? Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the at the picture you sent me. It's my next, <laughs> my next paragraph. Jumper ahead. Okay. Sorry. So I want to take a minute to talk about the layout of this house because it does become really important. And I had to look back at the picture several times trying to like piece things together. Mm-hmm. I will post a picture of this so that, and I'm going to get up early. I told Christy this, I'm going to get up early and do a really good job of posting it before the episode drops. Because if you can pull it up, go to our Instagram or Facebook and pull it up and see what I'm talking about. I sent the picture to Christy. So okay. you could, you could schedule it so you don't have to wake up early to get it on there. Just so. I don't know how to do that. Crap. Come on. <laughs> I can I'm do it for you if you want. I'm delving into uh, details that have nothing to do with the case. Okay. 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 All right. So the house is long and skinny. Mm -hmm. It has a hallway that runs down the side of the house and all of the rooms are to the right. Okay. So you walk in the front door and you are immediately in the hallway. The first room on the right was Suzanne's bedroom. Mm -hmm. Then a small room that was Gregory's room and also used as a sewing room. Then you have Suzanne's bedroom and Right after her bedroom in the hallway, it's not noted on the picture, but there was a door there. So there was a door. Once you leave Suzanne's bedroom and continue walking down the hallway, there was a door right there that separated like the bedrooms from the back of the house. It's not on the picture, but it was there. Oh, it says front door. We're going past Suzanne's bedroom. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Down the hallway. It separates the back Mm -hmm. of the house from the front of the house. 
right? It's in the hallway. Okay. So then we have a like lounge area that as was like where their dining room table is and also where their TV and stuff like that is. Straight ahead is the bathroom. And then at the very, very back of the house is the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And then you have the back door, a backyard, and a gate that opens up into the alley, which they call a laneway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So on Tuesday, January 11th, Barry, Suzanne's boyfriend, tried to call to reach her on the phone all day that day and wasn't able to get a hold of her. Suzanne's new man friend, the tobacco, the unnamed tobacco salesman, right. Mm-hmm. also tried to get a hold of her that day. And by the end of the day, he got really annoyed that she wasn't answering the phone. And he was like, oh, my gosh, I think I might have the wrong phone number. So he stopped by their home with a friend of his. Okay. He knocked on the door, couldn't get an answer, and he and the friend had been drinking. So this fool decides that he is going to go in Suzanne's window. <laughs> I know. This is a typical response. (laughs) Right. And so he does. He climbs in her window. He steps onto her bed, which was just below the window. You can see that in the picture. Is that the laneway? Because it's in the laneway or like. Right. Yeah. Is what the laneway? Well, like her window. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the side of the house. Okay. So he goes in the window. He checks the phone, I think, in her room. I think she had a telephone in her room. And like back in the day, we know this, but some listeners might not. Your phone number was on your phone. Yeah, I like, know. It was like etched onto your phone, right? So um, he looked at her phone and verified that he had the right number. And then he left back out the window. He said that the house was dark. He did notice the kitchen light was on, but he was only in there for a minute or two. And he did not see or hear anything. Okay. Just... You know, a little breaking and enter in there <laughs> to check okay. the phone number. Okay. All right. On Wednesday, January 12th, the two women living next door to Suzanne and Susan noticed their dog wandering around the neighborhood. So mm. Mishka, the puppy. They brought the dog into their backyard to, like, keep it in one place. And then they went next door and knocked on the front door but got no answer. So they left a note taped to the front door for the women. It said, Dear Suze, we have your dog, which was wandering around the street. You are obviously not home, so give us a yell and we will return return home to you promptly. Regards, Elona and Janet. That note even seems so strange to me. You are obviously not home. Like, they didn't have to make that statement. <laughs> to me. But anyway, well, go ahead. They obviously weren't. Yeah. Okay, Barry, Suzanne's boyfriend, was also continuing to try to reach Suzanne on the phone that day with no luck. So finally, around 8.30 that night, he and his brother decided to go by their home. Mm -hmm. So they knocked on the front door and got no answer. And they noticed the note about the dog and got even more concerned. And so they decided to go around to the backyard. Mm -hmm. So they go around through the laneway to the back gate, and the back gate was open. They go into the yard, and then they notice the back door was also open, and the kitchen light was on. Okay. They went into the kitchen, heard nothing in the house, so they figured that it was empty, but they assumed that the women were close by and would be home soon because they had just left their door open, 
right? Mm -hmm. So it seemed like they just maybe ran across the street or ran to a neighbor's or whatever. So Barry left a note on the table in the lounge area, okay, okay, which is the room in front of the kitchen. Right. And it says note on table. Exactly. That was the note from Barry. (laughs) And it just had his number and said, call me Barry, you know. Okay. So Barry and his brother said that they did not see or hear anything. And Barry said that he didn't want to walk farther into the house because he felt uncomfortable doing that since he didn't think that they were home. And he was worried that the women would come home and find them walking around their house and get upset Clearly, Barry has an appropriate idea of boundaries, yes. unlike the unnamed tobacco salesman. Yes. And I think probably maybe because of the time of this, not overly thinking, gosh, the back door is open. Something must sinister must have happened. Let's investigate. Like, he's right. just like, I don't know. I'll leave him a note. Call me yeah. when I get home. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So on Thursday, January 13th, the two neighbor ladies went back to the Sue's house to try to give them their dog back. Like they were mm-hmm. like, you need to get, come get your dog. Mm-hmm. They knocked on the front door, but got no answer and saw that the note they had left was still there. Okay. So it's like they had not been home in 24 hours at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. Now what alarmed them was they could hear a weak cry coming from inside the house that sounded like baby Gregory. Oh, no. So this did ring bells, like, for them. They were like, "Uh uh-oh. Now it does seem like something might be going on. So they decided to go around back to check on things. They also found the back gate and the back door open and the kitchen light on, and they continued walking through the house. As they walked down the hallway, they immediately saw blood everywhere. They described it as being bathed in blood. Oh, my gosh. They saw someone lying at the end of the hallway by the front door, covered in blood. They immediately grabbed the crying baby out of his crib and ran home and called police. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Police arrived and went through the house. They discovered a massive amount of blood in the hallway of the home. At the end of the hallway by the front door, they found Susan's body lying face down, covered in blood with what appeared to be stab wounds. She was clearly dead. Hmm. In the bedroom right next to the front door, so that very first room, they found the body of Suzanne. Suzanne was laying on her back. Her nightgown was pulled up to her chin and she was naked from there down. Mm. She had also been stabbed and there was blood all over the floor, but her body did have less blood on it than Susan's, which will become important later. Okay. Her window was open. The bed was like neatly turned down and there was a book laying open on the bed. Okay. There were no signs of forced entry and nothing was missing. There were some things overturned in Suzanne's bedroom There was blood all along the hallway, and there was evidence that the killer or killers had washed up in the bathroom, sink, and bathtub. Mm. There was actually bone splinters found in the drain. Oh, my gosh. There was a footprint under the windowsill of Suzanne's window, so the first bedroom. Mm -hmm. And there was a footprint on the bedding in Susan's room. And her blinds were disturbed. There was a bloody washcloth left on the couch in the lounge area. 
No murder weapon was found. Hmm. Okay. Gregory was taken to the hospital. He was totally unharmed. He was dehydrated and like distressed, but healthy. He was okay. So don't worry about Gregory. Okay, good. I'm glad. Okay. Trigger, 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 trigger. Susan, who was found in the hallway by the front door, mm-hmm. she had been stabbed 55 times all throughout oh. her body. There were blood smears along the walls of the hallway, handprints, footprints, indicating that she had been involved in an intense struggle for her life and had tried to run towards the front door. Mm-hmm. She was found face down just a few feet from the door. She had slashes to her arms and hands and a lot of defensive wounds indicating to police that she had fought her attacker. She was wearing regular day clothing, like her clothes from that day. So it did not seem that she had been like preparing to go to bed yet. Mm -hmm. Suzanne was found in her bedroom on the floor on her back. Her nightgown had been pulled up under her chin and her underwear had been removed and her legs were like open. Mm -hmm. The fact that she was wearing a nightgown indicated that she had gone or was going to bed. And it also indicated that she probably hadn't been expecting anyone that Mm -hmm. night. Mm -hmm. Suzanne had been stabbed 29 times to her chest, neck, face, and stomach. And she also had severe wounds to her hands, indicating that she had actually grabbed the knife at some parts of her attack. She had been raped (sighs) post-mortem and semen was present underneath her body. Gross. also Sorry. appeared it's gross it also appeared that her wounds had been cleaned somewhat like wiped down likely before she was sexually assaulted hmm. so due to the differences in the way that the women were like handled and the way that their bodies were treated after they were murdered it appeared that Suzanne was the primary target okay because she was the one who had been sexually assaulted um cleaned but are we guessing that they may have attacked susan first because it was like a run down the hallway towards no actually we're not and give me one second and i'll tell you what their theory is okay um they also believe that robbery was not a motive because nothing was missing from the house and they um think that the women were killed the night of january 10th or early on january 11th so the night that um, Susan's brother left. So this is, is day. Last... I can't remember how many days is it now. This is the thirteenth. Okay, right. Okay. So it's been two and a half or three days. Mm-hmm. The cause of death was listed as multiple stab wounds. There were so many stab wounds that fatal wounds could not be pinpointed. Oh, so they don't know. Like it was the stab wound to the heart, or the because there were so many that could have fatally killed them that just was multiple stat wounds right okay i have a question i'm sorry i'm sure you're probably going to answer this okay you said they likely they were killed the day that her brother was there would that mean that she's lying there when he came through the window Mm -hmm. tobacco came through the other window though we'll get there too okay he went through susan's window and checked the phone in her room suzanne was in her room susan was in the the whole susan suzanne thing it's it's all right (laughs) And you got to see this picture. I'm so sorry. It's like, this is one of those times when I wish like we did a video on YouTube so I could show this. But anyway, so collectively they were stabbed 84 times. Okay. 
So here's the theory. This is what police think that happened based on the evidence. The theory is that on the night of January 10th, Suzanne had been in her bed reading. She's wearing her nightgown. There's a book on the bed. Her window is open. Someone saw Suzanne's light on in her bedroom and looked through the window, which left the footprint Mm -hmm. that was found below her window. Susan, because she was still wearing her clothes for the day, was still up, they believe. They believe that she had been in the back of the house, either in the backyard or kitchen or bathroom, and that the door to the hallway had been closed. That's why I pointed out that door, because there was a door that cut off the back of the house from the front of the house where these women were found. Okay. Okay. So they think she was in the back of the house, in the bathroom, in the backyard, maybe listening to her new stereo, maybe watching TV, something like that. Okay. So they think that the killer and the kitchen light was on too. Remember? So Mm -hmm. that's another reason why they think that that's where she was. Mm -hmm. The killer knocked on the front door and Suzanne laid her book down calmly. She didn't, she clearly wasn't like trying to throw something at him or anything like that. She calmly laid her door book down and answered the door. She either let the person in or they then forced their way in. Okay. And they, either immediately attacked Suzanne or tried to have consensual sex with her and it didn't go well. And she was killed first in her bedroom. Okay. Susan, who's in the back of the home, heard something like, what is that noise going on in the front of my house? And it alarmed her. And so she came down the hallway to investigate. And that is when she was attacked and stabbed multiple times. And she tried to escape out the front door but was ultimately killed before she could get there. Okay. So was the blood only towards like the front of the house in the hallway, not in the, along the entire hallway? I think it was along the entire hallway or maybe at least 75% of it. Okay. But it's hard to tell when you look at crime scene photos. It's mm-hmm. It looks to me like it's all throughout the hallway. Mm-hmm. Like okay. she opened that door and the killer heard and like raced down the hallway and attacked her. Mm-hmm. The killer then washed up in the bathroom in the sink and the bathtub. There was also blood found on the washing machine, which was interesting. So the washing machine is Mm -hmm. in the bathroom as well. Okay. Then he took the murder weapon with him and walked out the back door, leaving it open, out the back gate, leaving it open, and into the laneway. Okay. All of this while 15-month-old Gregory was in his crib. Right. And Mishka so, probably left to go get help because dogs Mishka are smart. probably got out because the gate was left open. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying. Right. Yeah, she, she did sound like a hero. <laughs> mm-hmm. Investigators immediately started to question the people in the two Sioux's lives. A $20,000 reward was offered, which was later up to $50,000. In all, a list of 131 persons of interest was compiled. And that was later chiseled down to eight suspects. So I'm going to talk to you about some of them. Okay. So Gregory's biological father was a suspect at first, but he was ruled out because he was in Greece. Right. I was going to say, it seems like he's pretty far away. (laughs) Yeah. He had never traveled to Australia. Although there is speculation, was speculation, is speculation, is probably, that he was upset 
that Suzanne had taken his son and not returned. And so he sent someone or paid someone. There was a large Greek population in the area where they were living. So isn't there a Greek mafia too? In, in Australia? I'm sure there is. I don't know. I don't know. We, don't, we don't know if he had an affiliation, though. Um, Barry, Suzanne's boyfriend, was questioned, and he admitted to going to the house with his brother. This would have been the night after the murders, looking for Suzanne and leaving the note on the table. Mm-hmm. He denied going into the hallway, and he denied seeing or hearing anything while he was in the home. His brother also confirmed this. If you look back at the photo, go back to the photo in the house, you can see how this was maybe possible because Mm -hmm. if you are only in the kitchen, you can't see down the hallway. Mm -hmm. On the night of the murders, Barry was at home at a family event in which a ton of his family members were there and they all stayed the night in his sister's home. Barry was confirmed to have been there drinking all night long. He slept on the couch. He was never alone. He was supposed to be having tea with Suzanne the next day, like the day after they were murdered. And that is why he was trying to get a hold of her. It was because he was supposed to pick her up and he kept calling and kept calling and she wasn't answering. And so he actually had plans with her. And that's why he was like so insistently trying to get a hold of her. Okay. Susan's man friend, unnamed tobacco salesman, called police after seeing the murders on the news. And he admitted to climbing in Susan's window the night after the murders and looking at the phone. So if you look at the photo again, you can see he went in Susan's window. And Mm -hmm. if he did not go into the hallway, then he would not have been able to see Susan's body or Suzanne's. Right. Mm -hmm. He also claimed to have not seen or heard anything. He said it was dark and he had been drinking he is suspect to me because clearly he's sneaking around their house. Mm-hmm. Like who climb, who's like, oh my gosh, this person's not answering my calls. Let me climb in their window. And look at their phone just to make sure I have the right it's phone just, number. Uh, like, is that really why you climbed in there, unnamed tobacco salesman? I don't know. But we'll see. Or were you back. hoping to get her in bed and yeah, like, you know, like catch her like right there and be like Either hey. way, that was an invasive uh yes. situation. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it. Um, but we'll get we'll go back to him. So he also had a solid alibi for the night of the murders. So he was reported being somewhere else and it was confirmed. So three people have physically gone into the house right? while the two girls were laying in there dead and Gregory is in there alive. Right. And yes. no one saw or heard anything. Yeah. And potentially contaminating a, a crime scene. Yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Because, of course, police were like, why is this footprint on Susan's bed? Well, it turned out to be. The tobacco salesman guy who was just drunk climbing in the window and nothing to do with the crime, allegedly. Did they check? I'm assuming they checked their footprints for the footprint that, or like shoes for the footprint that was outside. I'm assuming so, yes. Okay. Sure. Yeah, I'm assuming. Okay. So they questioned neighbors. One neighbor who lived across the street reported seeing a man around 3 a.m. on the night of the murders. The man was in their kitchen, in the Sue's kitchen. And he then exited out the back door and through the back gate. 
This lead was not heavily followed up on because the woman was elderly and said to be nutty. I was going to say nutty. also, how did she see, like, was she using binoculars? She lived across the street. It wasn't a, just, just across the laneway. So she could see She had a clear into view their, into their backyard. Yes. Okay. Okay. Another neighbor reported hearing a house door slam and then two car doors shut and then a car pulling off in the early morning hours. Okay. This lead, again, was not taken seriously because investigators believed that there was only one attacker. And that would indicate that there were two. Okay. Okay. The neighbors that lived directly next door, the ones that had the dog, reported not seeing or hearing anything unusual except for their dog being loose. And then the baby crying, which is what made them find the bodies. Mm -hmm. Right. On the night of the murders, these two women had been at home drinking with a friend of theirs named John Grant. John had ended up staying the night on their couch because mm. they were like playing games. It was two o'clock in the morning. So John was somewhat lazy. He was a crime reporter who worked for a well-known tabloid magazine. Hmm. John was a heavy drinker and known to not keep the best company. This is where we have my favorite phrase. He ran around with coppers and crims alike. <laughs> okay. Interestingly, he was a person of interest in the disappearance of a 19-year-old woman named Julie Ann Garcia Soleil. She was a librarian from California living in Melbourne, and she had become friends with John and a couple of his friends, and the two of them had been with her at her apartment on the night she disappeared in July 1975, so oh. two years before the Seuss were murdered. John stated that Julianne had left to make a phone call at a nearby phone booth and left them in her apartment, and she just never returned. They finally got tired of waiting on her, so they left. In her apartment was a, found a bloody towel, which was also found in the Sue's apartment, and a pair of panties were found on her bedroom floor hmm. that were out of place, according to her roommate. A carving knife, a black cape, and $125 were missing from her apartment. Julianne has never been found but was declared dead and a victim of foul play. So John and his two friends were persons of interest, but he was never actually connected or arrested or anything like that for mm -hmm. her disappearance. But he's literally next door when these two women are brutally murdered. So he right. has now been in the wrong place at the wrong time twice. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this he was the suspect. He's suspect to me, too. <clears throat> suspect. Police looked into local sex offenders. They looked into a police officer who had been kicked off the police force for sexually abusing women while on duty. This police officer apparently knew Suzanne and had been to their home on Easy Street on several occasions. Mm -hmm. They looked into construction workers who were working on a project behind the two Sue's home thinking that maybe they could have been watching them and targeting one or both of them and decided finally to go in and murder them. 
Okay. There was also a man that both women knew from their hometown. So both Suzanne's sister and Susan's brother mentioned this man to the police. Like, you need to look into this guy. Okay. He and Suzanne had previously dated, and he had been seen drinking at a pub near their home on the night of the murders. And he was apparently a bad drunk and had a criminal past. So he was, like, not a good dude and was Mm. in the vicinity where they were when they were murdered. But he had an alibi. His mistress said they were together all night the night of the murders. Mistress, his mistress said that. Yeah, his mistress. Isn't this the twistiest case ever? Okay. Yes, yes. I have no idea what's happening. I mean, I'm trying to follow, but yeah. Okay. Okay. The two Sue's funerals were held together nine days after their murders in an infamous service known as the Armstrong Bartlett Funeral. That was their last names. Okay. Years and years go by without any leads or promising suspects. Suzanne's sister was given custody of her son, Gregory, and she raised him along with her children in Queensland. Then, in the 90s, DNA comes to the forefront. Uh, Right. That's what I'm thinking. This whole time, I was like, man, I wish there was DNA. (laughs) Well, here we're having it. Okay. In 1998, the Homicide Squad in Victoria submitted the DNA found in the semen under Suzanne's body for processing. Mm -hmm. It did not match any person who was currently in the system, but it did definitively rule out all eight of investigators' suspects. Wow. They were all cleared. So Suzanne's boyfriend and his brother, who went to the house and left the note, mm-hmm. cleared. Susan's man friend, tobacco, tobacco guy. unnamed tobacco salesman who climbed in the window, mm-hmm. ruled out. The shady crime reporter, who was connected to the other woman's disappearance, ruled out. The bad cop, ruled out. The guy from the woman's hometown, who was at mm-hmm. the bar cleared (laughs) and it does not match anybody in the system the international system that they have been able to find right and i was like they they have to be in the system at that point for you to to know it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but what are the odds that somebody who committed a crime this brutal would just go on to live like a clean crime-free life well i don't know that it's crime free because they're just not identified in the system. Like there could be, but they also their DNA has never been put in the system for another crime. Well, but how do we know that? Because there's no matches. Well, there's so no like matches if- to known individuals. No, I know that, but it could connect crimes together. Like oh. another unsolved crime, the DNA was also found there. Were they already doing that that early on? They're doing it now. They're still running their DNA. Oh, okay. I, I was I was just thinking when they first started because DNA no, started not until they pulled it. Right. But yeah. now, in 2017, so 40 years after the murders on Easy Street, Victorian police offered a $1 million reward and the case was completely revisited. That's why they say they, they're doing it now. Police mm-hmm. investigated more leads. They spoke to more acquaintances, more co-workers, more ex-boyfriends, like more people that used to live in the vicinity, on the street. 
Additional DNA samples were taken on a voluntary basis, but to this day, there has never been anyone else named as a suspect and no one else has ever been charged and the case remains unsolved but active. Wow. So the house on Easy Street remained empty for six years before being sold. It has since been sold several times and renovated like several Mm -hmm. times over. It last sold in 2015 for $1.1 million. Look how tiny the house is. I know. Back to the picture. One Mm -hmm. bathroom, two bed, three bedroom. The current owner does not speak publicly about the home, but I did look up the listing to see what it looks like now, and it's super cute. Okay. Gregory is now in his 40s. He did reconnect with his father in Greece, and they remain close, and he was raised by Suzanne's sister. Both Suzanne and Susan's parents passed away without ever knowing who murdered their young daughters and why. Both of their siblings still advocate to keep the murders on investigators' desk and in their minds. 46 years have gone by, and the case is still unsolved. The killer or killers, if they are still alive, are estimated to be in their late 60s or 70s. Right. Oh, my gosh. Why did no one hear the baby crying? Well, okay. Biggest thing for me. So I'm thinking that when those other people were in there, like when the Barry and then unknown tobacco man came in, the baby was just sleeping because the baby probably slept, well, hopefully, through all of it. And but this was days later. Like, what are the odds that the baby was sleeping both times they were there? Well, I feel like because they came at night. Mm-hmm, that's late, true. Like, maybe he was crying during the day, but then, right. like, fell asleep again because he was crying all freaking day long. You yeah. know, you, you know, I don't know. I mean, yes, I agree. So like, what are the chances? But Crazy. Yeah. But, yeah, why wouldn't, you know, they hear the baby through the front door maybe when they were knocking on it? Right. Or, yeah, yeah, because they're knocking on the door. It would wake the baby up. They're in the house talking. It's not a big house. Anyway, it's yeah. just amazing to me. So I did read a book about this case. There are two books that have been written mm-hmm. about this case, and I um, read the reviews to see which one that I wanted to read. One of the books I did not read because it was written kind of like a while ago, and it was the reviews were saying it was a bit disrespectful to the women, like mm-hmm. kind of victim-blaming, like, oh, they – had a lot of boyfriends and were trying to be these independent, free-spirited women running around town and partying. And it wasn't true. And I don't know. It just seemed a little bit gross to me. So I didn't read that one. Mm -hmm. The one that I did read was very good. It is called Murder on Easy Street, Melbourne's Most Notorious Cold Case by Helen Thomas. Highly recommend it. We'll give it away. So stay tuned. Okay. And it's not Helen that is our listener that wrote it. You know what? I don't know. <laughs> I wanted to ask her. I did mention that I read a really good book, and she was like, oh, yeah, I've read that book too. Oh, well. It's a great book, though. Anyway, thank All you, right. Helen, for sending us this case. If it is you, yes, you, you can just, you don't have to tell me, but just like sign my book for me. I won't give it away. <laughs> get another copy cool. to give away. Yes, exactly. It would be worth it to me. And that is the case of the Easy Street murders. That is insane that they that it's like like you said, at the very least not clicking with another 
case, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, if, right. If he has murdered more people, which I believe that the person who killed them did go on to murder more people because that was so brutal, his semen would have been found somewhere else. Even if they don't know who he is, they would still have be like the same person that killed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Suze did this to this other person. Also in the book, and I may be in Australia, it's known as this, but they call it spermatozoa, which is actually the clinical term for it. Oh, I mean, the rabbit holes I went down (laughs) on this case are bananas. Like, (laughs) I need help. (laughs) It's amazing, though. It's amazing. Well done. Well done. Thank you. This is frustrating. It is frustrating. Nothing. Some part of me thinks that it was like random. Mm-hmm. Not random, but like like a person who had been like watching them, like stalking them a little bit and knew their comings and goings. They obviously brought a knife, so they intended to kill them. Mm-hmm. But then part of me is like maybe they knew him because she opened the door mm-hmm. and let him in. Yeah, but back in that day, people opened the door and let people in. You know, like you were selling an oh. encyclopedia and you let him in. Not <laughs> you at know? nighttime, not in the middle of the night or late at night. Well, that's true. That's true. Unless they were expecting somebody to come. Which they don't think was true because Suzanne was in bed. But what if Susan was expecting someone? Right. That could and be And Suzanne possible. knew that and just like opened the door and was like, right. Very possible. And that's why she wasn't getting ready for bed because yeah. she, oh, okay, 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 okay. That's a, that's a spin. I like that. I don't hate the, that. Cause the most frustrating, cause I mean, all unsolved, we've, we've talked about this, all unsolved cases are frustrating. Cause you're just like, Oh, what the heck? Yeah. But this one's particularly so because you don't even have the, like the possible theories to go on anymore because they have been completely ruled out. So you literally mm-hmm. have nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, like the eight suspects you're saying. Yeah. Yes. I know. Yes. What did I say? Yeah, you did. That's what you said. Oh, um, yes. The yeah, I know. When I got to that part where it was like, "Here's the DNA," and I was like, "Oh, right. There's DNA. Yes, we're gonna know." And then it was like, everyone that they think it was is not <laughs> right because, like, when you <laughs> have that serious. kind of like list of people, and it's just like, well, we can't completely rule them out. You at least have this like, well, it's got to be one of them. Like. Mm-hmm. That one of them did it. Now it's like, mm-hmm. no, it's not them. And we don't even have anybody else to look at. <laughs> They're also, and this is in the book too, um, they talk about how it is possible that the DNA was like compromised. Mm. And so they don't actually have a good sample of DNA. And because back in the 70s, they didn't really know how to collect and preserve mm-hmm. things like like we do now. Right. And so they're wondering if it wasn't contaminated. And so that's why it's just not popping as a match for anybody because it's not a match for anybody. It's like right. a contaminated sample. That right. is a theory. Oh, well, that's a good theory. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Well, oh, sorry we're frustrating you guys with some unsolved cases these Happy days. Happy Monday, though. <laughs> this was a ride. I hope everyone got that picture or, like, was able to pull up the picture. It did help, right? Oh, yeah. I was constantly looking at it. Okay. Me too. Yeah. I went back to it a bunch too. Yeah. Because it does help to see like, no, if if he did go in that window and didn't mm-hmm. step foot in the hallway, then it nope, he wouldn't. plausible story. Right. Yeah. So 
Anyway, but all right. Well, thank you so much for doing all that research and then the extra like random research that you just felt like doing. (laughs) (laughs) Coppers and crims. Yes. Yes. Good. I love a good start a podcast called that. (gasps) Hurry. Let's go trademark it. I was like, why (laughs) did you just say that? (laughs) That's cute though, right? I know. I know. I told told Wes, I was like, this is going to be a part of my daily now. Like I will never call them cops and criminals ever again. No, I love a good coppers and crims story. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Maybe that should be the um, um, Emery and Wes's podcast. We'll be yeah. still plot crimes and glasses. They could be coppers and crims. <laughs> so cute. Anyway. All right. Well, thank you for doing the research. Thanks for telling the story. Thanks, Helen, for bringing it to our attention. That was a, yes. good, a good one to thank add to Thank you guys for hanging in there with me on it. I know it was like twisty and – Yeah. Yeah. It was a ride. Dark. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, if you like what you hear, go check us out on Patreon. We've got a whole bunch of other stuff and content over there for you to listen to. And check out our Instagram. Make sure you're looking up those pictures for the case. And for the book. And for the book, yes, because it's going to be a giveaway. Unless Helen signs our copy and then we have to find another book to give away. Uh, (laughs) And go check out all the things on social media. Um, And just always remember the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closets.